Thank you, sir. Yes, perfect. Perfect. Again, I love the way you all love to be together. Thanks for uh, being here. Thanks for fellowship. Every time, if you're visiting with us today um, for the first time, we do have a little break in there in our meeting um, where our children go off to their classes. And during that time, our, our folks stand up and they talk and don't ever like to sit back down. And that's one of the things I love really about our church. I, I love the way you love one another and can't uh, get enough of just interacting, fellowshipping, encouraging one another. It's just a gift from God to be able to gather together like this this morning and be able to look into one another's eyes and just be reminded of um, the grace of God in our lives, to be able to live together in the context of real relationships with one another and um, reminded that these relationships are built upon the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to share a little bit more about that in just a moment, but let me begin by reading Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others said Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that, Lord, we are gathered here together to celebrate the good news about Jesus Christ. That, Lord, you so loved this world, you sent him into this world to live a perfect life in our place. 
and to die on a cross for all of our sins so that whoever believes in him would never perish but instead receive eternal life. To have our sins forgiven, to be declared righteous, to be brought into this right relationship with you where we get to know you as our heavenly father. And Lord, we're gathered here not just because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but because, Lord, you raised him from the dead in victory over sin and death. Lord, that's exciting. And it has brought us so much hope, so much joy. And we just ask as we continue to gather together, as we open up your word, that you would allow for your word to speak to us, to take these truths and sow them into our hearts that we would grow, we'd grow in our faith, that there would be those here today who, who have yet to confess Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would come to know Jesus in a saving way, surrendering their lives to Him. And Lord, I pray that you would receive all the glory today from our time together as a church to all that takes place afterwards as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So have you ever thought about what you would be doing today if God had not raised Jesus from the dead? Just think about that just, just for a moment. What, what would you be doing right now if Jesus' body was still buried in a tomb somewhere and he really wasn't raised from the dead? I, I know a couple things I'd probably be doing. Well, I wouldn't be here. I'd probably have slept in this morning, and I'd probably be watching the Masters a little bit, which by the way, I know it's on, and I've already challenged some of you, it's, you just can't go there at this moment. Anyways, point is, where would you be? What would you be doing right now if all Jesus did was die on a cross and wasn't raised from the dead? I know that you wouldn't be here either. Because I don't think Sovereign Grace Church would actually exist if Jesus was just some man who kind of lived a good life and then was executed on a cross and when they buried him, his body stayed in that tomb. I don't think there would be much to really talk about in the form of Christianity. Our lives would be completely different. Tim Keller writes in his commentary on Mark the following, he says, In the decades before and after Jesus' life and death, there were dozens of messianic movements in Israel. In almost every case, the messianic leader was killed, in many cases by execution. And after the leader's death, each of these movements invariably collapsed. Everyone just went home and that was it. So if Jesus had remained dead, Christianity would have collapsed like every other movement throughout history. And like everyone else in the world, we would be running from one thing to the next looking for peace but never finding it. The Apostle Paul wrote the following in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. He said, And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most 
to be pitied. I, I love those two verses because it, it challenges us. It challenges us to really think about who Jesus is and what he has really accomplished for us. And when you take away the resurrection, we lose everything. And we of all people, like the Apostle Paul would say, are to be pitied the most. Now, why would he say something like that? Well, just think about your life. If you're a believer, you've staked your life on who Jesus is. What he's done for us through his life and through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Which sort of puts this stamp of approval where God just says, it is finished. It is done. My son lived in your place and I have accepted his sacrificial death for all of your sins. And I've raised him to life in victory. And so if you take the resurrection away, we of all people are to be pitied because we've been spending our life picking up a cross and following something that's not real if you take away the resurrection. And so the the resurrection helps bring meaning to all of our life and what we're doing. Sam Storms wrote the following about this. He said, I can honestly say that I've staked my life on an empty tomb. Everything I am, everything I own, and everything I've done or hope to do hangs suspended on whether or not Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. The decision I made decades ago to put my trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is only as good as the tomb is empty. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, my life is a sham. I've invested everything in, staked everything on, and trusted everything to the historical fact of the empty tomb of Jesus. If his body and bones are still buried somewhere in Palestine or have long since disintegrated under the force of time and the laws of physics, nothing has meaning for me. Nor do I have meaning for anything or anyone else. If Jesus' body and bones are still buried somewhere in Palestine, then nothing has meaning. Nor would we have any meaning or anything for anything or anyone else. Again, we'd be wasting our time here this morning. But the good news is, we're not wasting our time here this morning. We're here to celebrate the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus' death and resurrection It proves his worth, and it brings meaning to all of life. And how we respond to his death and resurrection is foundational to how we see the world that we live in. If we don't believe it, then life in many ways is meaningless. We just sort of run around trying to figure out what we're to do and trying to find value in certain things that this world offers up to us so that we might be happy for a day. And then when that fades away, we run after something else and we just chase things. But if we do believe in Jesus, we do believe that he died on a cross for our sins and he was raised again to life, then then we actually do have a purpose. And we have meaning. And I would add to that, we have some value. When it comes to following Jesus Christ, we are faced with a decision to either follow him or not. 
This isn't a decision that we should take lightly because it has eternal significance. You could say heaven and hell hang on this decision, whether you believe in him or not. What we're going to learn this morning in this text is this truth. Since Jesus died on the cross for us and was raised from the dead, we must take up our cross and follow him. Since Jesus died on the cross for us and was raised from the dead, we must take up our cross and follow him. This text is about making up our minds and making a decision, not just today, but making a decision every day to deny ourselves and to look to Christ and to follow him. Now to help us sort of explore this truth And build this conviction, we're going to take a look at three questions this morning. The first question is this, who is Jesus? If we're going to give up everything to follow him, then I think it's pretty important that we know who he is. Because he has to be worth it. If you're going to give up everything and you're going to follow him, you should know who he is and make sure that he's worth it if we're going to believe in him. So who is he? Well, this is a question that Jesus asked his disciples. Look again at verse 27 and 28 of Mark. He said the following, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. This just sort of reveals how confused the people were at the time as Jesus was walking and talking and teaching with authority and performing miracles. There was this sense of awe that the community around him had of him, but they still didn't know exactly who he was. They had some ideas, and so they thought maybe John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, maybe prophets. But Jesus wasn't really interested in what others thought of him at this moment. He was interested in what his disciples thought of him and who he was. And so he asked them, verse 29, but who do you say that I am? And Peter just immediately, I imagine immediately, but just sort of throws in there this, you are the Christ. And at that moment, Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, Jesus was asking all of his disciples here, but Peter did. He he threw his two cents in on who he thought Jesus was. And we know that Peter was right on the money in identifying Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, the genuine and true Messiah that had been prophesied about to come into this world and save God's people from their sins. This was a huge confession by Peter. I mean, up to this point, Peter and The disciples had seen Jesus do some amazing things, but but they were still slow to get it. They were trying to put things together in understanding just who Jesus was. If you were to look back in Mark, you'd see that Jesus was rebuking his disciples for a lack of understanding of who he was, warning them to watch out for the Pharisees' unbelief. But now, all of a sudden, they get it. So the question is, how does this happen? How does does someone just sort of get it? How does Peter all of a sudden go from being rebuked, from not really understanding, to just in this moment saying, you're the Christ. You're the long-awaited Savior of the world. Well, Matthew tells us 
how this happened in his gospel. So Matthew 16, verse 15 through 17, he writes the following. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon, Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So Peter gets it because God was kind and gracious to reveal this to Peter. Peter wouldn't get this. Peter wouldn't understand who Christ was at this moment if it wasn't for God's kindness and God's grace poured out upon Peter and the disciples in that moment to be able to see this is the Christ, the anointed one, the one who's going to save us, the one who's been prophesied about. And so in order for Peter to get it, God had to intervene. God had to open the eyes of his heart, so to speak, to understand and see who Jesus really was and is. And the truth is, God had to do the same thing for us. And he has to do the same thing for all of us. For all of us to understand really who Jesus is, God must intervene by his kindness and his grace to to lift the blinders And give us the faith to really believe and to understand that Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect life in our place and died on a cross for all of our sins, paying the full penalty so that we might be forgiven and declared righteous and brought into this right relationship with God and the fact that God raised him from the dead. This takes faith and this faith is a gift that God gives to us. I share this with you because I can stand up here all day. I could stand up here every day and I could share the gospel with you. But but the one thing I can't do and the one thing you can't do for others, because you can share the gospel with people, you can tell folks this is good news. But the one thing that none of us can do is reach into the hearts of the people that we're sharing this good news with and seeking to reveal Jesus to them. You can't reach into the hearts and you can't change those hearts. We talk about this a lot when we talk about parenting. Parents, you, you, can't, you can't reach into your kids' hearts and make them believe in Jesus. You can disciple them. You can teach them about Jesus. You can tell them the good news day in and day out. But the one thing you can't do is you can't give them that faith. I mean, Peter and the disciples, they, they walked with Jesus. And they were slow to get it. Part of God's perfect plan. And so we're absolutely dependent on the grace of God to see Jesus clearly, to know Jesus for who he is, and to believe in him. So we can give the gospel, but we can't make people believe this good news. So I want to ask you, before we move on to the next question, is this simple question, who is Jesus? I encourage you to answer that, to think through that. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe in him? Are you trusting in him as your savior? Are you celebrating who he is and what he's done? I want to encourage you not not to give the Sunday school answer, to really think through your hearts of just how would you answer that? Is he your savior? Do you really believe He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the one whom God sent to live in your place. 
and die on the cross? And do you really believe God raised him from the dead? So we're confronted with that question here this morning. And this leads us to our second question. What must Jesus do? Peter knew Jesus was the Christ, but, but he had this sort of expectation and maybe a little bit of a wrong understanding about what the Christ would do in Peter's mind. And a lot of folks at the time, when they thought about the Christ and they thought about the anointed one, they, they would think that he was kind of coming into the world to reign and rule an earthly reign and rule where they would sort of set up shop and dominate all the bad empires around him, mainly the Roman Empire, and kind of free God's people to live as they please. Mark 8, verse 31 says the following. And he began to teach them, this is Jesus, kind of giving them some enlightenment here. He says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I'm not sure Peter could have received a stronger rebuke from Jesus than this one. There was nothing casual about it as if to leave Peter and the other disciples confused about what to do. Peter's mind was in the wrong place. He couldn't accept the fact that that Jesus came not to reign and rule on an earthly throne, but instead he came to suffer and die. A suffering Messiah was unthinkable to him. Again, in his mind, the Messiah was supposed to be strong and not weak. He wanted Jesus to rule and reign victoriously over the Romans, and he couldn't imagine a Messiah dying on a cross for all of his sins. And so for that thinking, Jesus rebuked him. He rebuked him pretty strongly, letting him know you're you're thinking like the enemy here. You, You don't have the mind of God here. You're misunderstanding a few things. Your mind is actually set on the things of man. You're thinking about the world around you, and you're not thinking about it from this spiritual perspective, this great big perspective that's much bigger than this world we live in. Jesus came for the cross and not a throne, to suffer and die on the cross, to kind of complete this mission that God gave him to send him into the world, to live again this perfect life and die on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of man. He said he must suffer many things and be rejected by the religious leaders and killed and then after three days rise again. Suffering was not just one of the many options for Jesus. It was the only option. If he was going to be faithful to what God had called him to do. So what Jesus is plainly telling his disciples here is something like this. Yes, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah, the King of Kings. But I didn't come to live. I came to die. I'm not here to take a position of power and reign as an earthly king and deliver you from the hands of the Romans. I came 
to give up my rights and power. I came to suffer and sacrifice myself on a cross for your sins. To deliver you from the power of sin and death. To give you hope beyond this life. To give you eternal life with God. See, Jesus had to suffer because it was the only way for our sins to be forgiven. It was the only way for us to be declared righteous and brought into this right relationship with God. It was the only way for us to have the hope of eternal life. Romans 6 verse 23, Paul writes the following. He says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what happens when we sin is it creates this debt with God that we could never, ever pay off ourselves. It puts us in a position of receiving God's wrath, making us really dead to the things of God. But, but we need this free gift of eternal life, and we only get this free gift through faith in Christ. And this free gift is available to us because of what Christ did for us. Again, living a perfect life in our place. And then dying a sacrificial death on a cross for all of our sins. And God accepted that and raised Jesus from the dead. And that's good news. What we learn here from Paul is is we don't earn this free gift. I mean, think about it. It wouldn't be a free gift if you had to pay for it, right? I mean, sometimes you're offered something to say, hey, this is a free whatever, and you're just like, there's got to be a catch. There's no catch with this. When the Lord says it's free, it's free. What he means by that is Jesus paid it all. We were singing about it this morning. He paid it all so that we would be forgiven, that we might receive this gift of eternal life. Simply by believing in him. And the good news is that Christ died, but God raised him from the dead. Raised him from the dead in victory over sin and death. We're gathered here today celebrating this victory. That we have a Savior who lives. That he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And God raised him to life. And we get to celebrate this. And Phil alluded to this. Is is we get to celebrate this not just on Easter Sunday. But as believers, we celebrate this, honestly, I would say, every day. Every day. Because he lives, we live. Because he lives, we have meaning to what we do in this life. We have purpose. It guides and directs us. We don't worship a dead Savior. We worship a Savior who's alive because God raised him from the dead. This leads us to our third question. How should we follow Jesus? How should we follow Jesus? Look at verse 34, Mark 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Essentially what Jesus is saying here is, since I came for a cross, then you too, if you want to follow me and you want to be one of my disciples, then you too must go to the cross. He's not saying that we have to live a life of physical suffering and just sort of grin and bear it. What he's talking about here is living a life that is rooted and grounded in him. A life that that sort of has these gospel lenses on it where when we look out at this world, we're, we're looking at everything through the good news of the gospel. This good news that Christ died for us and God raised him to life and he's reigning and ruling over all things. And, and when we look through those lenses, what it does is it colors the world we live in. And a lot of times there comes sacrifice with that. A lot of times it looks like saying no to self and no to this world to follow Christ. To trust in him as our Lord and Savior. This is where we, we have to make up our minds and make a decision about how we live out our faith trusting in Jesus Christ. Are we going to give up our lives pursuing the riches of this world or are we going to deny ourselves and take up a cross and follow Jesus? See, we can't have our foot in both of these worlds. There's no eternal profit for us to gain if we're living for the things of this world. Tim Keller again writes the following. He says, every culture points to certain things and says, if you gain those, if you acquire those, then you'll have a self. You'll know you're valuable. Every culture says identity is performance-based, achievement-based. And Jesus says that will never work. If you gain the whole world, he says, it won't be big enough or bright enough to cover up the stain of inconsequentiality. No matter how many things you gain, it's never enough to make you sure of who you are. If you build your identity on somebody loves me, or if you build your identity on I've got a good career, and anything grows wrong with that relationship or that job, you'll fall apart. You'll feel like you don't have a self. I think we all could probably stand up or if we got in a small group, we could share those things that we've run after in this world where we've, we've sought to find value. I think Mr. Keller here hits on some good ones. Somebody loves me. And so what he's talking about there is relationships. And so we run after these relationships and we think if I only get a spouse then my life will be complete and I'll be happy and I'll have some value. Or if I could just get, get into this college or if I get this career or if I can make, make it on this team or whatever it is, we can run after thousands of things and the world would say, if you get those things, then you have some value, then you have some purpose. But, but that's not what Christ is teaching us here. 
We don't find value in those things. This is where the, the cross and the resurrection, it brings meaning and it brings value to our lives. Again, looking at life through those gospel lenses and we, we come to understand that, that we actually find value in Christ. See, the things of this world, they all change. They all change. Our relationships change. We don't live forever, so every relationship you will ever be in will ultimately change. It might be there for a season, and it'll be gone. No one lives forever. That's why we we love the resurrection, because we have this hope that, that when we die, we will be raised to life. And so all of these relationships will change, and, and we love these relationships because God has give them, given them to us, and we rejoice in them, but we don't find our hope in them. We find our hope in Christ. We find our identity in Him. We find our value in Him. And that's good news, because He never changes. He's eternal. And by the grace of God, He's our Savior. But he also gives us a warning at the end of this. He just says, if you're ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you. And so the warning here is is really, he's pushing us here. The warnings are meant to serve. Don't go down that road. It's kind of like when you're traveling down a road and it says road end, stop, detour. Those signs serve a purpose, right? Now, some of you maybe have ignored those signs and, and tried to go it your way, but, but those signs tend to tell us the truth. And so warnings work that way in Scripture as well. And so as we're presented with this good news, there's this warning that he gives at the end. He's saying, don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't, don't go down that road. It, it doesn't end well for those who, who live their lives not trusting in him, rejecting him as their Lord and Savior. It, it doesn't end well. There, there's, there's no other way to finding forgiveness of sins and a righteousness that's not our own and ultimately eternal life. That comes by trusting in him. For those who are ashamed of him, they, they don't receive this gift. And so in many ways, this warning is meant to direct us to answer that question, who is Jesus and, and will I follow him? And Mark's writing this and recording this and Jesus is telling us this to say, yes, follow him. So I'm going to close by asking you to make up your minds and to make a decision. Chris, are you guys coming back up? Yeah, can you come on back up, please? I'm going to close by asking you to make up your minds and make a decision. Here's the question. Are you going to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or are you going to pursue the things of this world? The things of this world are passing away. All of them. But our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is eternal. His body's not laying in a tomb somewhere in Palestine. God raised him to life, he is the first fruits. For all of those who believe in him, Scripture tells us he will raise to life. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to to think about that. Will you follow him? Or will you follow the things of this world?
since Christ went to the cross for us, dying to pay the penalty for all of our sins, and God raised him from the dead, I want to encourage us all to look to him, to believe in him, to stake your life upon him, and pick up a cross follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we celebrate your grace and we celebrate your son, Jesus, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would soften our hearts, and that Lord, you would increase our passion and our joy in knowing Jesus and in following Jesus. And that Lord, you would receive our worship now in Jesus name. Amen. we stand up. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. Thine power.